But today we're going to talk about asking for a friend. Is the Bible reliable? Is the Bible, is God's word reliable? The Bible is the most read book in history. It's the best-selling book in history. And it's the most translated book in history. So why is it the word of God? How do we know that it is? God's word. Is the Bible reliable? How do I know? How do I know that it is the word of God? How do I know that it's not just a bunch of stories and fables and legends that coming together to produce a book? How do I know? In fact, only 39% of active believers Consider the Bible as the literal word of God. 39% of active believers question, well, no, they have faith in the word of God. They consider it. That means the other 61% got questions. Well, they're not sure that the Bible is reliable. In fact, Time Magazine, I've got a couple pictures here. They've, 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 twice, two covers. You got that picture up? There we go. Come on. There we go. Two covers right there. How true is the Bible? And that's a great question. But Times Magazine, and they also ask, is the Bible fact or fiction? And this morning, I want to settle the question. This morning, I want us to look at the question is the Bible reliable? Is the Bible true? Is the Bible really what it says it is? The Bible tells us that God cannot lie. God cannot lie. A lot of people ask me, you know, is there anything that God cannot do? And yeah, there's a lot of things that God can't do. God cannot deny himself. God cannot not be God. God cannot lie, because God is true. And if the Bible has one lie, if the Bible has one false truth, then we can literally debunk the whole word of God. If we find one non-truth in the Bible, then it is not a book of God, because God Cannot lie. Psalm 33, verse number 4. The Bible says, For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. And so we're going to look today, how can I trust the Bible? How can I know that the Bible is true? That's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at something, and I pray that today, that you will see the word of God in a different light. I pray that at the end of today that you'll be excited about God's Word. I pray that at the end of the day that you'll realize that God's Word, that the Bible, is a living book. It is alive today. A book that was written 2,000 plus years ago. It's still alive. It's still relevant. It still has meaning and purpose. It is 
still leading us. It is the authority in our lives. And I pray that by the end of today, you'll see God's Word. And you'll be like, wow, this is a miracle working book. And I want us to see that. And I want a boost of your faith today. Because if we're going to live with Christianity, then we've got to know that what we stand on. We've got to know that we're standing on the Word of God, that we're not questioning the Word of God. Because as I said, there's 61% of active believers. They're not sure what the Bible is. They're not sure, and I pray that today here, my goal is for you and I to see God's Word and to see it, that it is the truth, that it is God's Word. I'm going to look at some evidence here. And I, I love this kind of stuff here, and I hope that this will be practical and helpful for you this morning. Number one, if you're taking notes, the Bible is historically accurate. It's historically accurate. And for that reason, I know I can trust the Bible. In other words, the Bible isn't just doctrinally correct. It's not just theologically correct. It's not just accurate regarding morals and ethics. It's true history. When we read the Bible, we see real people, real places, real time. It's true historically. And we're going to look at some, some tests of history. For example, one of the ways you can test good history is to ask the question, is it from eyewitness account? From eyewitness account. A historian will say this, and it's written down by somebody who saw it, or maybe the second-hand person wrote it down. You know, sometimes we hear stories, and it's more of a story, tall tale, legend. You know, we know this one legend. We hear the legend of Paul Bunyan and his art, his art name, Babe. Okay, you got Babe. Uh, you got big Paul Bunyan and art, and they threw him around all over the country, you know, and, and they were playing around. You got a little rough housing, and when, when Paul Bunyan threw his big art, Babe, on the West Coast, you know, that's where Grand Canyon and the Rocky Mountains form, and, and, and of course, the Great Lake, all of that. And so that's a legend. That is a legend. It, like, we know that's not true, but when we see the Bible, we actually have eyewitness account. It's not legend, oh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago, this may have happened or not. The Bible is primarily eyewitness account, and that's why it's good history. Moses was there when the Red Sea split. Joshua was there when the, red, when, the, when the wall of Jericho fell down. The disciples of Jesus sat in the upper room and saw the resurrected body of Jesus appear out of nowhere. And they wrote it down, and they wrote down what happened, and we read about it. The other text of history is by which, by which we know the Bible is accurate. It's the extreme care in which the Bible was copied. It was copied. And you may have heard people say, you know, I'm sure it was right when it was first written down, but over the course of time, it copies upon copies upon copies. You know, they got the facts wrong. You know, things got, you know, kind of twisted and distorted. And maybe it was true in that one time, but after several hundred years and several hundred copies, you know, we've got a different truth. It's not the same truth as it was originally was. 
In fact, we're going to see this in just a little bit um, in, in, a, in a couple points to illustrate it. But here, here's what happened. Back in, in, in when the Bible was written, and the earliest copy that we had until 100 years ago, I'm going to get to this in a minute, but the earliest copy that we had for a long time was 900 years after Christ. 900 years after Christ. And, and they were written, handwritten in these scrolls that were copied. And they actually had rules on the scroll, especially in the Old Testament. They actually knew how many letters was in each book. And when they finished copying a book, after they finished writing the book of Genesis, they would count the letter A's. And if there were supposed to be 1,452 letters of A's, and, and if they counted A's, and they actually counted 1,463 A's, one more A than it should be, then they would take that scroll and they would throw it away. They would burn it. It was a bad copy. They had a count for every letter for every book. And they would actually count it out. Because they were very careful in, in disseminating wrong copies. In fact, they even knew what the middle word of each book was. They knew that there's that middle word. And so they would count it, you know, forward to that middle word, and then afterward to that middle word. And if the number on this side of the middle word and this side of the middle word was the same, then they knew that they had a good copy. So they were very careful in the copies. Of course, the earliest that we had for a long time was 900 years after Christ. Until about 100 years ago, a little shepherd boy randomly walked into a cave in the middle of Israel, in a very deserted part, very dry part of Israel, and found these jars. And inside of these jars were scrolls, what we now call the Dead Sea Scrolls. And they discovered all of these scrolls. In fact, they found a Dead Sea Scroll for every book of the Old Testament, except for the book of Esther. And so they had found all of these manuscripts, and the Dead Sea Scrolls takes us back to a hundred years. These were copies that were written a hundred years before Christ. So now they have a litmus test. Okay, we have what we had at one point, 900 years after Christ. Now we found copies that take us back a thousand years before the earliest copies we had. Are y'all with me on this? All right, and so they had all these copies. And they said, let's compare to the Dead Sea Scrolls. Let's see if over a thousand-year gap, if the copies were messed up, if the copies were distorted. And they started comparing what they had 900 years after Christ to the Dead Sea Scrolls, and they found that it was in the high 98, 97% accurate. There were some misspelled words. There were some missing articles like a, n, and the. Little words that were mistaken, but no content was changed. Everything was identical. And that helped us to see that copies, even in that 1,000-year gap, stay true to its form. Another way to see history is through the eyes of archaeology. I love reading about archaeology. In fact, one of my favorite movies is Indiana Jones, right? And he's always looking. 
Uh, now, most of the stories in the Indiana Jones, in fact, none of them are true, okay? <laughs> all right? But it's a great story. It's archaeology. Right? It makes our mind wonder. All right, are the stuff in the past really true, really happened? And it did. And archaeology is showing up every year, even in this time period, with improved science. In fact, the past year, they have finally discovered the palace that King David, they found proof and evidence that King David was actually a king. Now, we already knew that, right? Right? We already knew that because it was in the Bible. But now archaeology is now confirming the fact that David was actually happened. They actually found in the past year Bethesda. That's one of the hangout place where Jesus lived. They actually found evidence of where Jesus had been. And this is all these archaeology that's really confirming actual places in the time period that it came where the Bible presented. And we're seeing this thing presenting itself. In the early 1900s, there was a, a man named William Ramsey. He was an atheist, agnostic. Atheist that just was absolutely wanted to disprove the Bible. And he was an archaeologist. And he thought, you know what, I'm going to take the book of Acts. I'm going to take the Acts chapter 1. By the way, Acts chapter 1 is one of the most detailed chapters in the book of the Bible. If you go to Acts chapter 1, there's more fat, more date, and a lot of data right there. And he thought, you know what, if I can take Acts chapter 1, and if I can flip it, if I can disprove Acts chapter 1, then I can disprove the Bible. And so William Ramsey went to the Holy Land. He went to the Middle East and started digging and started looking and trying to find contradictions in the Scripture. And after several years, he came out not as an atheist, but as a believer. He accepted Christ as the Savior. He, he, everything he found built faith. He built proof that the Bible is true history and it's real. He couldn't find one contradiction. And so we need to look at the historical aspect. God's word is historically accurate. Here's the second thing I want to look at. If the Bible is scientifically accurate. It is scientifically accurate. Psalm 148, verse 5 and 6. It says, let every created thing, that's the whole universe, okay? That's the whole universe. From the planet Earth to the farthest stars that we don't even know about. All right, the whole universe, that every created thing give praise to the Lord for he issued his command. You know, God set these rules in motion. You know, the laws of motion, the, the, the law of thermodynamics, the law of gravity, the law of physics. And he said he issued his command and they came into being. He set them in place forever and ever. He, his decree will never be revoked. And let me say this. The Bible was not given to be a scientific textbook, obviously. Well, now we're not going to learn how to build a rocket ship out of the Bible, all right? That's not what it's for. But here's what I want to say about this. The Bible, not once, not once has ever given bad science. It's not given bad science at all. In fact, everything we see some of the science that the Bible teaches, 
at the time period was against the science of that day. Anything that was written in that time period, in the time period of the Bible, they would adopt the culture. They would adopt the scientific mindset. They would try, you know, if you want to be legitimate, you've got to kind of go with the flow. But the Bible, in a new time period, made statements of scientific fact that, man, that was totally unheard of at that time period. Let me give you a couple of these. Because it's fascinating. For example, for thousands and thousands of years, people believed that the earth was flat. They believed that the earth was flat. It wasn't until Copernicus, Galileo, uh, Columbus in the 14, 1500s that they wanted to prove that the earth was round. But for many years, okay, for thousands of years, they believed that it was flat. But there's not a single verse in the Bible that said the earth is flat. But we see something else. Written 2,700 years ago, God said in Isaiah 40, verse 22, put the verse up real quick. Isaiah 40, verse 22, 22, God sits above the circle of the earth. Some translation, the sphere of the earth. God knew all along, and we were seeing in the Bible, that the Bible is a sphere, that the earth is the globe, long before anybody knew it. What was written Nobody believed it, but God said it, and it was true. There, another idea for thousands of years that the earth was carried by, by Atlas or by somebody or by a demigod. They believed that it, it was hung by something, depending on the culture that you believe in. But God, he already knew. And the science in Job 26, verse 7 he spreads out the northern skies over empty space. He suspends the earth. He hangs the earth on nothing. Not a man named Atlas is holding the planet. Even though the Bible was written in Greek, you would have thought, hey, since it was written in the Greek language, that somewhere along the line, a Greek mythology could have flipped in and said, oh, by the way, science, you know, there's a man named Atlas holding it up. But Atlas never made it in the scripture. Although other books in that time period, if they wanted to talk about science and how the earth was being held up, Atlas would have made it. The idea that the earth was hung by nothing was crazy. Here's another idea. It was the idea that there was X number of stars. In fact, 150 years before Christ, there was a scientist named Hipparchus. And Hipparchus actually had a number he said, you can actually count the number of stars in the sky. He counted uh, 1,000. I got the number right here. He had 1,022 stars. There was 1,022 stars. You could count them. And for a long time, that was, that was fact. That was a scientific fact. Everybody believed it. Until 150 A.D., 150 years after Christ, so 300 years later, a guy named Tommy comes out, and Tommy said, man, Hipparchus had it all wrong. Hipparchus was way off the mark. I counted the stars, and instead of 1,022 stars, there's 1,026 stars. <laughs> Tommy found four more stars. Now we know how many stars there are, right? I mean, you and I, 
with the, all the science and everything that we know about. I mean, we look up in the skies and we say there's, there's millions and millions upon millions upon millions upon millions. There's so many stars. We can't even count them. We can't even count them. That's a fact today. You know what the Bible says? The Bible already had it right. Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 22. I will make the descendants of David my servant and the Levites who minister before me as countless as the stars of the sky and as measureless as the sand on the seashores. I got Ptolemy and Hipparchus didn't read that one. Bible already said, man, it is countless. We're not going to be able to count the stars. So we're still all alone. It's always been the truth. Here's one more idea on science. It's a science of bloodletting. For a long time, you know, if you were sick, you had bad blood. So if you had bad blood, you know, what would they do? They let blood out. They say, hey, that's going to make you feel better. And, and, of course, if it's not enough, you know, you're still sick, they let more blood out. I mean, that was the idea. You get rid of blood. All right? You get rid of George Washington, our first president, you know, a lot of people don't know this, but you know how he died. He bled to death. He was sick. The doctor said, hey, they came in and said, hey, we need to let some blood out. And said, okay, let some blood out. And after a couple of days, I still don't feel bad. I, I still feel bad. I still I'm, feel terrible. He said, all right, we got to let more blood out. So I did it again. And then a couple more days later, he said, man, God, this is not helping me. I'm still sick. He said, all right, we need to let more blood out. And then he died. And now they said that his death was caused by his own doctors. His doctors thought, because if you were sick, you have bad blood, we've got to let him out. Now today, we realize that if you want to get better, sometimes it's better, it's more blood. We, we give blood away to help people that need blood. And you know what? The Bible teaches this already. The Bible knows, and in the science, we see in Leviticus 17 verse 11, for the life of the body is in its blood. There's never been bad science. Not one bad science in a period where bad science could have crept into the writings of God's Word. But God inspired the writers to write truth. There's not one false science. That's an incredible thought to think about. Proverbs 30, verse 5. Every word of God is flawless. We know we can trust the Bible because it's historically accurate. And it's scientifically accurate. Here's number three. The Bible is prophetically accurate. Prophetically accurate. What does that mean? It means that the predictions in the Bible always come true. And the Bible is filled with literally thousands of prophecies where God said this is going to happen at such and such time in such and such way. And over all of the centuries, thousands of these prophecies have already been fulfilled, every one of them. Some of them are still yet to be fulfilled. We read it in the book of Revelations, and we know that there's end times. There's some prophecies, you know, and as the days get closer to the end times, we're, we're beginning to see some of these prophecies, and we're like, you know what, I'm, I may be seeing how this might play out here. It sounds weird in Revelation and some of these things. And, and the poor Apostle John was trying to define in the vision that God was giving him. God was giving him all kinds of vision of the future. And he was trying to write 
In Revelation, the best he could, he would talk about flaming arrows, you know, and flaming birds, and, and he would try the best he could because back in John period, there was no such thing as a fighter jet with missiles shooting all over the place. Uh, and, and he was trying to best to describe what Revelation was showing, but we're seeing it. Uh, we don't know how it's all going to play out, but we're seeing, okay, John saw something. This prophecy yet to be fulfilled, but there are tons of prophecies that had already been fulfilled. In fact, there's been 300-plus prophecies that Jesus Christ fulfilled 4,000, beginning 4,000 years before Christ was even born. 4,000 years before Christ was born, we see the first prophecies. And over 4,000 years, we see prophecies of how he was going to be born, where he was going to be born, how he was going to be born, how he was going to die. He talked about how he would be betrayed by the exact amount, 30 pieces of silver. And all of this came true. 300 prophecies, 300 predictions. I couldn't make just five predictions about your life. I couldn't even make one prediction about your life in the next five years. I can't, I, I'm not going to be 100% accurate. But yet, we have 300 prophecies. The odds for Jesus to fulfill 300 plus prophecies is astronomical. There will be so many zeros it will fill this room. It's insane how many zeros. One out of, well, we couldn't even come up with that number. It's huge. But Jesus fulfilled prophecies. What are the odds? It's crazy. It takes more faith to believe that it was all just a coincidence than to believe that God had planned it. It takes more faith to believe that it was so random than to see that God was actually through and through carrying out prophecies. It's amazing to see that God's word is being fulfilled. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 21. For prophecies never had its origin in the will of man. In other words, guys didn't just sit around and thought about, hey, what should we write about? That didn't happen. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It is prophetically accurate. And the odds of all these prophecies happening just the way they did over thousands of years, it's just astronomical. The fourth point, I'm going to invite my buddy Tom. Tom is going to help me out here. I'm going to take a break. Tom is going to teach us number four here. I'm only going to be going to behave because your grandma's here. Okay, the fourth point, the Bible is thematically accurate. Now, we were trying to figure out a way to show you how quickly things could fall apart if we didn't have a good process together. And to do that, I need five volunteers. And the first one, Jonah, our youth pastor, is going to come up. Jonah, can you, can you find, find us a teenager to bring up here too? Because I want to show who's smarter. Okay, somebody else who will volunteer for me, a kid or an adult or a guy who I'm looking at right now with a gray shirt on. Come on up here. Yeah, Alan, you come up here too. So you've got a good hair day going on, Alan, so I, I want you to come out up here. Come out here. I've got one, two, three, 
four, and I need... What? Yeah, come on up, Michael. That's a great one. All right, give our volunteers a round of applause. Yes. Okay, that's what you're supposed to do. Okay, so what we have here, or we have some note cards up here. Take a couple of these. Take two note cards just so it's a little thicker. Okay, can you pass these down as I explain this? Now, what's going to happen is earlier today... Can you hear me okay? It's earlier today... I wrote down, take that Sharpie, yes, I wrote down a message, and we are going to play a version of telephone that is awesome to play at restaurants when you're bored, by the way. Okay, and here's what's going to happen. I'm going to tell, I'm going to start at this order, it's going to be a little bit easier for me. Ooh, where do I want this to go? No, I'm happy with this. Okay. I've written something down here. Now, what I have written down is a concept And if you guys want to use the podium to draw, too, if that makes it easier, okay? But what I've written down, she has to draw. And then whatever she has drawn, she will then pass it over to Jonah, and then Jonah will try to write down what she thinks he's drawn, okay? So come here. Don't let him see it, okay? So draw that. Yeah. (laughs) I love the rolled eye that I just got. You ministering with teenagers, bless your heart. Okay, but you guys can't look, all right? So no ch- <laughs> like, like on absolute edge. Now, the Bible was written, we know this was written by 40 different authors, mostly men. Men are the ones that we usually know about. But 40 authors of 66 books. One problem that I have is when they call the Bible the good book. It's the good books. It's an entire library of history sitting in your hands and writing it down. You got it? Oh, okay. Oh, do you have to start over? I shouldn't have given you two. Oh, my goodness. We're on a clock here, lady. You can... <laughs> okay. All right, now pass that over to Jonah. Now, Jonah, whatever she, look at the picture. Now, I want you to make a sentence out of that. What do you think, what do you think that first card said? Yep, write it down. Write it down. So write it down in words. As quick as you can. By any day now, the writing one's supposed to be the faster one. Okay. There are other things that we know about the Bible as far as being historically accurate. Pastor Scott says it is scientifically accurate. It's scientifically accurate in ways that we didn't even know about until years later. You've heard of leprosy, if that was, in, that was in the Bible. It was in there a lot. When I was a kid, I thought everybody had leprosy. I thought it was just rampant, and everybody was itchy. Yeah, you guys get it? And what we actually have discovered today is that leprosy was just one of the few things that we knew about back then. Stop cheating. Just draw. Draw. Get to work, man. Show me your... I know you can draw. I've seen pictures. Excellent spray painter. There you go. Just let it fly. This is really important because, you know, this is the Bible that we're representing here. (laughs) We actually know that even psoriasis, if you had psoriasis back then, they would say, you've got leprosy, and they would wrap you in bandages and make you go away. But Jesus would walk up to somebody with leprosy and touch them and interact with them, which is amazing because we actually know that 97% of the earth's population right now can, is completely immune to a leprosy. So if you did meet somebody who had leprosy, you could probably go up and touch them too. But we were so quick to cast people out, and Jesus would go up and he would touch them and heal them. 
And if you had a cold sore and you just had a thing on your nose, they're like, what is that, leper? What is that? What is that? What is that? Then they would get rid of it. Also, if you were to study what we knew about back um, in the Old Testament, if they would have followed Old Testament law, we wouldn't have had the black plague at the same level because God made it really clear in the book of Deuteronomy. This is the joke I didn't want to tell in front of your grandma, but here it is. Deuteronomy, God told you how to evacuate and bury it in a hole. (laughs) But we didn't take care of that, and that's also how we had a cholera outbreak in epidemic. Are we still going? Yeah, you're the last one, baby. Let's, Let's see what it is. So are you drawing or writing it down? You're drawing. Okay. You drew, so he's writing it down. Yeah, thank you. That makes a lot more sense. Why does he have all the cards? Yeah, go ahead and draw that. Okay. Oh, my goodness. Just make a big, a big swiping mark. No, you're doing great. So keep going. Stop staring at me. We're on a clock, man. The band's going to come back up, and they're ridiculously good. So I want to make sure we're moving on this. Some of the treatments that we use besides just healing people and cleaning out wounds, like we were taught in the Old Testament, we treated the Black Plague. One of the treatments was they would find one of the growths on you, a bubos, as it was called, and one of their ideas was tying a chicken to it. It's true. That's historical fact. All right. Now, the, um, the end picture here is described as a man. Is this a man on a surfboard? Okay. And it says, gnarly dude. Okay, this is, this is the picture that we end up with. This is his interpretation, okay? Was this at all what he, what he was talking about, a surfing? Were you talking about a gnarly dude surfing? No. Were you talking about a gnarly dude surfing? Oh, my goodness. Where did this fall apart? Okay. I'm going back a little bit further. I want, to, I want you to do this. What was the concept that I gave you? Water is very wet. Wow. You know, you thought water is very... It's not very wet, though. Read it correctly. Water is very, very wet. There's two varies. This is important to the interpretation. I'm curious, what was the last written word that we had way down here? Water. Water. Walk on water. Reading all the words is so difficult. Walk on water. Is that what I wrote down? Say yes or no. No. What happened? All these people got involved. So how is it that we get from the Bible from thousands of years ago and keep things accurate? None of these people were trustworthy. Shame. All right, can we have a big hand for them for embarrassing themselves a little bit? Thank you guys so much. Are we good? Or do you want me to keep going? Because i got stuff i got to say, but we're running low on time. Don't tie a chicken to your wound. I knew that. Thank you. It could have been worse. Oh, thank you, Tom. Let's give it up for Tom. What, what crazy is, it's thematically unified. Yeah, you know, we have 40 different authors, 1,600 period, uh, 600 years, you know, three different languages on three different continents, and we have a Bible that don't clash. When we have five people in the same room try to deliver a message, and it hadn't made no sense, and yet God's word over 1,600 years, we see a common theme. And it's about Jesus. In fact, Jesus knew about this. And he said to the 
the disciples. Open up my notes here. He says in Luke chapter 24, verse 27, and beginning with Moses, that's the first five books of the Bible, that's the Pentateuch. And the, he said, and all the prophets, that's the Old Testament, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. What's the theme of the Bible? It's all about Jesus. It's about his redemption plan. It's about the fall of man in the beginning and how God orchestrated redemption and how it came out to be a man named Jesus who died on the cross. Everything points to Jesus Christ. It's thematically unified. And that's a miracle. That's not a bunch of men getting together in a, in a brainstorming session and say, hey, let's make sure we're all on the same page. That didn't happen. God brought it to pass. Here's the last point. The Bible has transforming power. The Bible is transforming people's lives. The Bible talks about that it is a living word. It is alive and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it divides and discerns the truth. It speaks the truth in our lives. I've seen flat-out drunks, irresponsible addicts, get their life clean and sober because they start reading God's Word. I've seen the most self-centered, narcissistic, all-about-me people who are abusive and misuse people and are manipulative to people, backstabbers. Nobody thought that they would change, but then they start reading the Bible. God changed that person's life. I've invested my life in the heart-changing business. And I've seen it happen many times over the years. The Bible is changing people's lives. No other book does what the Bible does. You can go to Barnes & Noble. You can go to the self-help book. And there's some good stuff out there. But nothing trumps the Word of God. The Word of God reigns supreme. The Word of God is the hope. The Word of God is alive. Jesus said it like this in John 8. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciple. Then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. The Bible never lies. Even when I don't like what it says. Even when it makes me uncomfortable. Even when I'm like, no! Don't be there. But I know it's true. And I know that the truth will set me free. Second Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17. All, all scripture. That means the whole word of God is God-breathed. And it's useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It is God's word that can help us live the life that you and I are meant to live. It is God's word. The fundamental question that most people ask, and the question is, what's going to be the final authority in my life? 
what is going to be the final authority in my life. And you need to decide that. You need to decide what's going to be the authority. It's either going to be the word or the world. And you have to decide that. You have to decide, you know what, I'm going to, my feelings are going to be my authority in life. And how I live based on my feelings and, and what my peer pressure might say and what my friends might say. Or, you know what, God's word is the authority. And I'm going to stand on the living word of God because I know it's true. I know it's reliable. It has withstood the test of time. People have tried to burn it, tried to destroy it, and through it all, God's word is still alive because God promised that he will preserve his word. And at the end of time, the Bible says that the grass will wither, the, the, the tree will die, the flowers will die, but God's word will live forever. And I pray that today, that you will hold on to the power of God's word, that you will trust in God's word, that you will see that it is God's word. And I pray that you will make it your authority by, by the way that you live. I pray that you will trust in the word of God. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there's not been another person in the history of this world that there's been more books, copies, written about one man. Some famous, famous uh, emperors in our past history. There's one book with very few copies. But Jesus Christ, in the world sense, just a normal man, right? But there's been over 10,000 copies of the Word of God. Because there's something about a man named Jesus. There's something different about a man named Jesus. And we know who he is. The Bible says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. I pray that today, if you don't know Jesus, that you will put your trust in Jesus. That you will put your trust and faith in him. He's not a fable of the past. He's alive today. He is communicated through his living word, the word of God. Our Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for today. And God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you're doing through us, the transforming power that you're teaching us, how powerful your word is. God, I pray that we will make it your authority in our lives. God, I pray that we will live out your word. I pray that we will see every word to be useful, that it will help us in the way that we should live so that we will be equipped, thoroughly equipped to do every good work that you have for us. Pray, that, God, that we will trust in you, trust in your living word. God, I pray maybe there have been some people here, some of us here today, that lack faith in your word. God, I pray that today, that they have increased their faith in your word. I pray that they will not be part of that 51% that question the reliability of your word. But God, I pray that they will become part of the 39. And I pray that that 39% will continue to grow because we've got to have a truth, knowing that the truth will set us free. And we thank you for what the book is all about. It's all about you. In your name I pray. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Let's worship.